Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. Tonight we're going to uh, we're going to continue with our, um, as you would probably assume, a more traditional Christmas Eve service. But we're uh, we're going to go in a different direction than a typical Christmas Eve service would go. Like at FBH, we never want you to to leave here without the ability to apply what you have learned to your life in some way. So we don't want you to just walk in and just be like, okay, I feel like I was I was entertained or make you feel good or anything like that. We want you to walk out of these doors with a few things accomplished. The first of which we want you to have worshipped God with your voice. And so as you came in, assuming you were singing. Um, then you worship God with your voice. And that was, our, that was our hope. If you weren't singing and you're fearful that your voice is terrible and so you don't want to sing, God gave it to you anyway. So make him listen to you worship him with that voice in the first place. So sing loud and proud for all to hear. I think I combined two different stories there. Anyway, um, but so we want you, beyond that, we want you to worship God um, with what he has given you by being faithful in your, your tithes and offering. This is just like a normal Sunday uh, morning service for us would be. And so those are in the back. We want you to have open your Bible, whether it's physical or digital, and you can do that now. So if you have your Bible, a physical Bible, go ahead and crack that open, Isaiah 7. If you have it on your phone, pull your phone out. You can take your phone out in church. I don't care what your mom says. I'm in charge. Um, And so uh, Isaiah chapter 7, assuming it's the Bible that you open. Um, But uh, but so that's where we're going to camp for a while. And lastly, we want you to know more about God and his word than when you walked in. And so uh, you can live a life that exemplifies him in a real way. So we're going to be sitting in the book of Isaiah 7 for tonight. So feel free to to open that up. But while you're getting there, uh, I want to share a story about my life. About two years ago, uh, our family decided that we needed to move somewhere that had a little bit more land, had a little bit more space um, than our other house. Um, and so, because uh, when the whole pandemic started, everything, we're trapped inside and like we had a nice open area in our home. But then like as soon as our back doors would open, our kids would run like straight into the back fence, right? There's like no room for them to run or anything like that. And five boys, that's a lot of boys. And so um, we we're like, we need to move to a space with more land so the boys can be outside and run and, and, and gallivant, I don't know, gallop, whatever boys do. And um, we, we told, at least that's what we tell everybody, right? We moved out there so the boys could get their energy out. Well, we actually moved out there so the boys could go outside and we could have peace and quiet inside. Um, and, uh, and it was one of those things where we, we had said, well, we have more land, so when we move there, we will build a tree house for the boys. Like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build a tree house. It's going to be great, a big tree, because we've got a, we got a lot. we got land to be able to build. And so, like most things, um, you know, uh, we, we moved into the house, and there were projects that we had to do, and we're painting things and patching walls and doing all the things that you do when you move into a, a, a slightly older house. And um, so then, the, of course, the boys, they just kept asking, like, well, when are we going to build the tree house? Because you off the cuff mentioned you were going to build a treehouse. That's the same as citing a blood oath with children, right? Like you mentioned it, so blood oath, it needs to happen. And so we keep going and keep going, keep pushing more and more projects, all this stuff. And then uh, last summer I had a, one of my sons um, sent one of his brothers and he said, you have been summoned to the child's room. I, no, he didn't say that. I would have respected him more if he did. But he said, he said, uh, he said, dad, it's, uh, we need to build the fort. It's time to build the treehouse." And I was like, okay, let's build the treehouse." And so I've never built anything from scratch. I'm relatively handy, right? And so like you can nail floorboards to a wall and you can paint a wall, you can patch drywall, that sort of thing. But like building a freestanding structure on my own, I had never done. And so we're looking up things and, you know, I can do most things through like, like grit and sweat and like YouTube videos and that sort of thing. And, and so I'm doing all those things. We're planning it. And then we're like, okay, today's the day. We're going to go get the posts and we're going to set the posts. And so 
go through and I'm measuring and measuring and measuring. And then my wife comes out and she's like, did you measure enough? Which wasn't frustrating at all. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I measure. Okay, it's time. We're just going to, we're going to set the posts. And I had never done this before. So we set the posts. And then after that, we get the braces put into place. And after that, we start framing. Then we put the floor down. And um, I, I realized there's something drastically different, different between measuring something and making sure that something is square. I've never done that before. And so if you've ever laid flooring or anything like that, you realize that for the most part, you shouldn't need a circular saw to lay flooring on a fort. I did. Um, and so, um, so we finally got to the end. Like any good dad, I just stomped and kicked the board enough until it was in place. I screwed it in place and I was just like, you know, forget it. And I haven't touched the project since. So I clearly don't, don't want you to, uh, to go, go, go from this place and uh, build a tree house or anything like that. Um, but there was critical information that I was missing that I needed if I was going to build this fort correctly. I just didn't have, I didn't have the information. So I did what any good dad would do. Like I said, I finished it to the best of my ability. Um, I didn't, I didn't swear out loud and everything was good. But that being said, I was missing crucial information. And so my question for you is this, not how good you are at building forts, but what if the life you are building is missing some essential elements that would in both the long and short term prove to be incredibly helpful to you? Would you be willing to say yes to something like that? And it feels a little salesman-y of me to say it that way. Okay, but if, if, some, if you are missing information in your life that would prove to be helpful in both the short and the long term, would you be willing to listen to it? And, and hear me, I don't want to be the guy who reigns in the joy of everyone's parade, but, but oftentimes I think there is a sense that as we come into Christmas, admiring Jesus is an item on a list to be checked off. I think that part of the reason that, you know, we're, we're, we're all here in Hanford, California, we, for the most part, know why it is that we celebrate Christmas. We know that Jesus is the reason for the season to go back to it. And so we do our due diligence and we do the things that we're supposed to do. And then we get on with the rest of our traditions, right? I mean, that's probably the reason most of you are here at the five o'clock service is you're like, well, 3.30 is too early. If we hit the five o'clock, then six o'clock, we can head outside, maybe check out the lights that are outside. And then after that, we'll go home and then we'll catch a late dinner together, unwrap our matching pajamas, and then we'll wake up the next day and we'll be ready to, to do the whole thing, right? Like you have it all planned out. And I'm knocking you, we do the same thing, right? We got dinner plans after this and we'll do all of those things. But, but for the most part, oftentimes what happens is that we just assume to ourselves, well, it's Christmas Eve, so we've got to hit Christmas. So this Christmas, I want to really take a pause and consider the ramifications of what it is that we celebrate. Because right? I think the truth is that there are people here who assume the good news of Jesus or agree that there is a God in some way, but are still doing our best to kind of devise our own plans, to run our own lives, um, and establish our own kingdoms. The gospel actually tells us that none of these things should be true. This is the same issue as a guy who lived in about 700 BC, so a real long time ago. It's a guy by the name of King Ahaz. King Ahaz, you can find in the book of Isaiah. You can find him in 2 Chronicles. Um, you can find him in 2 Kings as well. Um, he, he gets talked about the most in the book of Isaiah, though. And so this guy is the king of a place called Judah. So quick geography lesson. Israel gets broken up into, into two distinct kingdoms. And so there's Israel up in the north, and there's Judah down in the south. And King Ahaz is going to be the king of a place called Judah. So Ahaz, when he's about 20 years old, he takes the, re takes the reins over from his dad. And unlike his dad, Ahaz is a terrible king. 
And not just a terrible king. Ahaz, man, that guy, he is a terrible human overall. We're talking like sacrificing his own kids type of bad, right? And so clearly God detests that practice for any reason. He did in order to please all of these other gods, which would have made God even, even more angrier. So Ahaz, at this point, he's at a war with Israel. And God tells his prophet at the time, a guy by the name of Isaiah, same guy who wrote the book of Isaiah, right, his prophet Isaiah, to go and have a conversation with this selfish, greedy, kind of terrible person of a king. And oftentimes when you read in the Old Testament that you see a prophet is going to warn a king and he's like, hey, do this or else something terrible is going to happen to you. This actually isn't the case with King Ahaz. God tells Isaiah, hey, go talk to Ahaz real quick and this is what I want you, I just want you to tell King Ahaz to relax. Like, just take a break. Isaiah 7, 4, actually, God says, take care and be calm is the words that he used, right? He's just like, hey, chill out. So if you hear nothing else, parents, do me a favor. Tonight, tomorrow, just chill out, right? Things are going to be fine. Take care and be calm. But Isaiah urges Ahaz to slow down. He urges him to slow down and kind of take note of himself, take note of his advisors a little bit, to pay attention, to listen to what's kind of being said, and to ultimately seek God's direction in the midst of what's going on in his life. So God is assuring the king that Judah, he's assuring Ahaz that Judah is going to be delivered. Your kingdom's going to be taken care of. Everything is going to be fine, Ahaz. Everything is going to be cool. And so Ahaz simply just needed to acknowledge, acknowledge the fact that God's hand was with him, that God was going to protect him. Just acknowledge, Ahaz, just acknowledge God amid building your kingdom. And Ahaz, uh, he doesn't do it. Ahaz doesn't recognize him for, for who he is. And so then we get to verse 7, and it's kind of reminiscent of a coach's pregame uh, motivational speech to his team before they like go out on the field or anything like that. It's this inspirational call on God's part. And he's telling his team, he's telling his opponent, he's like, hey, these guys, they're not going to beat us. Chill out. They're not going to win. They're not going to come into this house and defeat these people. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. God reasserts himself as head over the earth. He reasserts himself as the head over the nations, head over history, all these things. He is an all-sovereign God of history and mankind, and he inserts him, asserts himself. And what, like, what he says is going to happen. And so God tells him at this point, God says, you know what, Ahaz, this is how much I want you to listen to me. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for any sort of sign. He actually tells him, like, make it, make it, like, ask me for something as deep as the pits of hell or as high as the heavens. Ask me anything you want for I will give you a sign. And Ahaz at this point is seemingly very, being very humble in this moment. And he says, you know what, I don't want a sign. Don't give me a sign. Tells Isaiah, Isaiah, tell your God not to, not to give me a sign. And so actually, if you look at it and read it a little bit closer in Isaiah 7, what is actually happening here is that Ahaz actually wants God to bless him. Ahaz wants God to deliver him. Ahaz, Ahaz wants, wants his kingdom to be to, delivered. He wants God to bless him, but he wants God to bless him on his own terms. That's kind of the catch. He's like, yeah, God, yeah, yeah, God bless me. Deliver my kingdom. But deliver my kingdom in the way that I want you to deliver my kingdom. God, please deliver me from these people who want to harm me and harm my kingdom. But do it in the way that I want you to do it. And so this is largely what we're going to look at tonight is our, our own issue, our own kind of fallen condition focus. We want, to, we want God to bless us in our lives. 
We want God to protect us. We want God to make us profitable, right? That's the big, the big thing in American Christianity is if you just pray hard enough, God's going to give you whatever it is that he wants to, wants to give you or whatever it is that you want. And so we want our own kingdoms to be built. We want God to bless us in our lives, but we want it to be on our own terms. I mean, think about your own life. Maybe it's your prayer life specifically. Like, think about, think about your prayer life. Are you spending more time thanking God or are you spending more time asking God? Like, are we, are we treating God more like Santa Claus, asking for more and more to build our own kingdom without asking God what it is that he wants? Isaiah even warns Ahaz about this later on in Isaiah 8.10. This is what it says. It's on the screen. It says, devise your strategy. Devise your strategy, but it'll be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Which I think is interesting. This is, it feels backwards, Right? I'm a, I'm a pretty practical type person, and so anything that I, I do, I want it to make sense in my head. I want to plan things out. I want to make sure it all fits as long as it's not a treehouse floor or anything like that. Like, I want to do my best to plan things correctly and do things correctly. And so I think to myself, hey, yeah, I'm going to devise my strategy. I'm going to propose my plan. But here it's saying, look, God is going to be with you. So regardless of what you do, your plan is not going to stand. Why? Because God is with us. So Isaiah and God at this point, they're not having it with Ahaz. Because Ahaz, again, wants, like, he wants the blessing, but he doesn't want to acknowledge God in the midst of it. They're saying, like, it's not about you. It's not about what you want. It is about God doing what he wants in your life. And the cool thing is, is once you recognize God's character, and once you recognize that God's character is one that, that wants what's best in your life, that you learn that God is with you. And, and so because of that, your plan gets thwarted, but it gets thwarted in the best possible way. So it seems a little bit backwards, but this is indeed what Isaiah is saying. So because Ahaz, is, he refuses to do it God's way, Isaiah then tells him he's going to get a sign. He's like, you know what? I know you don't want a sign, but you know what, Ahaz? You're going to get a sign anyway, right? It seems like a weird threat. But he's like, you're going you're to get a sign anyway. It's actually in Isaiah 7:14. This is what it says. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So here's the crazy thing, is that you have probably heard these verses before. If you, if you regularly attend like Christmas Eve services or, or maybe it's, it's like Easter services or whatever it may be, you have probably heard these pro, like this prophetic verse at some point because it's some of the most popular prophecy when it comes to Jesus arriving. And so largely what has happened, like even though thousands and thousands of years ago, Ahaz, like God promised Ahaz a sign that was going to be with him, but beyond that, God in the same sentence made a future promise to the entire world. That God has a plan, and his plan is what is going to be best for the world. He is going to send his son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Absolutely incredible. So the same verse is actually echoed uh, in the book of Matthew, in the birth narrative of Jesus. So if you're one of those families who, like, opens up the birth narrative and reads Luke 2 or reads in the book of Matthew or whatever, you've read this as well. It's Matthew 1.23. It says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So this is, this is echoed straight from the book of Isaiah all the way into Matthew 1. So we just hit fast forward on this story by hundreds and hundreds of years. But here's the crazy thing. If you've been to church any, any amount of time, you'll recognize that the same thing is actually happening in Matthew chapter 1 that was happening back in the book of Isaiah. There's a group of Jews who are waiting for a Messiah to show up. 
They're waiting for someone to come onto the scene. It has been promised. It had been prophesied all the way back in the book of Isaiah, right? They're like, hey, like a child is going to be born. God with us. There's going to be a Savior. There's going to be a Messiah. But there was a group of people, everybody in the world, as a matter of fact, thought that when Jesus came, when God came to earth, when the Messiah came to earth, there's going to be some dude on a big old horse with armies going to overthrow political governments. Like he's going to come and and reign over all of the world with with all of the Israelites joining him in in his reign, that that's who they imagined, that's who they thought was coming into the world, a guy with armor and a sword and going to overthrow all of these things. And God, through his actions, said, go ahead and devise your strategy, Israelites. Go ahead, Jewish nation, go ahead and devise your plan. Go ahead and do that. All of them are assuming it's going to be like this big, crazy thing but all those things are going to be thwarted. Go ahead and propose, go ahead and propose your plan, but it won't stand because I'm going to do what is best for the world. And what is best for the world is for me to send my son as a newborn baby, to send my, to send my son to grow up in the Jewish tradition, tradition, to learn carpentry from his dad, to understand Jewish ceremonies and the law. So when it's time for his ministry to start 30 years later, he can effectively communicate with those who are around him. As God's, that was God's plan. But ultimately, he didn't come just to be a, a good teacher or someone who performed signs and wonders, but rather someone came simply to die on behalf of all of humanity. That's why he was born. That's why Isaiah prophesied back all the way in Isaiah chapter 7. And no one at that point, no one at that point assumed that this was going to be God's plan. On multiple levels, not just this was going to be God's plan that he was going to send his son as a baby into the world with a family and make him grow up and deal with all of the things that we deal with. But on top of that, God's way of conquering everything that was going on was actually to send him to a cross to die. It doesn't really sound like we're overthrowing anything at that point, at least if that's your mindset, if that's your plan that you have simply devised. But God's plan amid everything else is going on, that every, uh, amid everything else going on is best and everyone else is as thwarted. Why? Let's go back to the reading that we did in Isaiah 9, 6. Hear ye, hear ye. It doesn't start like that. It says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, because God's way is better than our best laid plans. Why? Because that's what we get to call his son. So let's bring it back to us then. How do we apply this? Like, what is the critical information that we are missing, much like figuring out how to square a building, that is needed in order for your life's plan to flourish? Like what, like, what is it? Simply stated, for your kingdom to flourish, what do we need to do? I think you're looking at it from a biblical perspective. The answer is you need to put your kingdom to death and partner with God. You want your kingdom to flourish? Put it to death and partner with God. Have, have the perfect Christmas morning plan. Anybody have the Christmas morning planned out? You guys know what you're going to do? You guys are like, I don't think it's perfect. Do you have a plan though? Yeah, you have a plan, you liars. All of you do. You know what's happening tomorrow. You're getting up, you're brushing your teeth, you're drinking coffee, and then your kids run the show for the next two hours. I get it. But even if you have the perfect Christmas morning plan, something will fall apart. If you have kids, probably literally something will fall apart. But something will go wrong tomorrow. 
right? You have a five-year plan in place. Maybe you're like looking forward to retirement or something like that. Something will go wrong within those five years. Your plan, I don't care how well you plan it, something is going to go wrong in those next five years. Now, I know because it happens all the time. I am you. I plan and I plan and I plan and things always go wrong. Uh, One of my favorite Christmases was a couple years ago. And it was favorite, mostly for the memory. It was terrible at the time. But we got somehow ended up with like a thousand remote control cars at our house at Christmas time, right? And like, we're the ones who control the list. There's no reason that we should end up with more than five remote control cars at our house. But for whatever, whatever reason, we did, okay? And you think, five, that's not too much. If everyone gets two remote control cars, that's like 10 remote control cars in our house. We need a freeway in order for our kids to be able to use all of those things. Beyond that, you know how expensive batteries are? Those were like a Christmas present in themselves to power all of those things. However, the issue was is that we had all these remote control cars show up and guess who the guy was who got caught without batteries on Christmas morning? This guy. So we have a whole bunch of kids who want to drive their remote control cars. Some of them had batteries, some didn't. And so let me save you some time and effort if you are going to be that guy tomorrow. Home Depot is closed. Walmart is closed. Target is closed. Most gas stations are closed, by the way. If you are looking for batteries on Christmas morning, there is one place in all of Hanford that I have found that will be open. It's the Arco off of 198 and 12th. Feel free to go there. Let them know I sent you. But if you think that batteries are not marked up on Christmas morning at the one store that sells batteries on Christmas morning, you'd be sadly mistaken. I legitimately paid more for those batteries to power all of those cars than I did for the cars themselves. And here I am driving around with my kids just simply searching for batteries. We had it planned out. Christmas morning was going to be great. My plans failed epically, and so did my bank account, as a matter of fact, after that. (laughs) But our plans fail. Like all of those, everything that we have planned is going to fail. Why? Because God is with us. That's why. And it sounds like a bummer, but it's actually incredible. So God's kingdom amid all of this is going to stand. The question becomes, are you a partner in his kingdom? Or are you going to be too busy building your own? That's the question we've got to grapple with today. If you look back to Genesis 3, you'll recognize that Adam and Eve kind of devised their own plan by doing exactly the opposite of what God told them to do when sin enters into the world, devising their own plan. So then because of, our, because of those plans, our plans, God devises his own way by sending his son into the world as a newborn baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in a manger. And most people think that mangers at the time were like these, these rickety wooden type things that like hay is kind of stuffed into them. It's kind of like the cross beams and you got the wood and that sort of thing, which were always the most fragile part of the nativity set. I was supposed to play with my mom's nativity set, but every time that I did, I broke the manger because it was a really rickety thing. And that's the image that we have in our head of, of those mangers, those feeding troughs. But actually, more, more than likely, the reality is that mangers were probably carved from a rock and set on a ground inside a cave somewhere. So imagine a big rock that somebody had slowly chipped away until there was a little trough, and then you lay straw, you lay hay, you lay that sort of thing in it. And so a baby was set inside of a carved rock at the mercy of those God placed in his life for God's plans to be accomplished. Which is a pretty cool thing to be able to think about. That's how Jesus came, came into the world. That's where Jesus lay. But the issue is we fast forward to 33 years later and Jesus again gets placed behind a carved rock after hanging on a rickety piece of wood at the mercy of those God placed in his life for God's plans to be accomplished. See the parallel? 
He bled and died so the sin that entered in the world in Genesis 3 and into our lives daily could be taken care of. We get to be part of his kingdom when we make a profession of faith, when we say yes to him and become part of his family forever. That was God's plan all along. Our plans get thwarted in the best possible way. So today, as, we, uh, as I close up, I'm going to invite the band to come on, come on back out. We sing just a little bit more. I want you to ask yourself a question. I simply want to ask yourself, what part of your kingdom needs to be torn down so you can be part of a kingdom that is far bigger, you can be part of a kingdom that is far stronger and far more meaningful than your own? And the question beyond that is, well, what's in it for me? Because let's face it, we're all human and that's the question, right? Is why should I help somebody build up their own kingdom? Well, first of all, yours isn't going to stand in the first place. You want to be on the winning team, at least I'm assuming. But beyond that, God actually calls us a, a chosen people. In 1 Peter 2.9, it's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. It says this, it says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. What's in it for you? You get to be part of God's royal priesthood. You get to be part of building a kingdom that's going to last forever, not one that's going to be forgotten in a hundred years. And so I'm not saying for you to go home and blow up all of your Christmas plans. Please go home, sing the carols, eat the cookies. Do all of the things that you plan on doing tonight and tomorrow morning as a family. But just a challenge to all of you is are you a part of that royal priesthood? Or is that something maybe you're still grappling about? Or maybe at one point you would say, yeah, I was definitely a part of that royal priesthood, but it's up on the shelf for now. I got important things to do. I got to make it to the top of my corporate ladder. I got to make it to the, be the best family in the whatever it is that you are striving for at this moment in life. I would just challenge you, what piece of your kingdom do you need to tear down? Because we are a royal priesthood. And that's what's waiting for you when your plans are put to bed and you join up with the greatest king to walk the earth because he is the king who created it all in the first place. Church, what would it look like if this Christmas we laid our plans to waste and simply asked God, what are your plans for me? What would you have me do? How can I best honor you in this season? How can I best honor you in the rest of my life? I think if we were to ask that question seriously and, and give it a lot of thought and start applying some of these things, I think we would see a world that was maybe less enamored with what we get at Christmas and maybe we would find a world who wants to partner with God who loves them deeply and a God who loves them best. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for Christmas. God, thank you for the joy that it brings in bringing family together and traditions and all of the things that we do. But God, I pray just for a second, we would evaluate where we are at. We would evaluate our own kingdoms. We would evaluate the things that, that we maybe hold dear, maybe evaluate the things that we've put up on the shelf simply so we can say that we're the best at our own kingdoms. God, I pray that wouldn't be true tonight. I pray that we would be willing to take down our kingdoms piece by piece simply so we could partner with you and so we could be a part of your royal priesthood. And so if that's you tonight, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you, and you're like, you know what, I put God on the shelf for a while and I just want to re-up, I want to rededicate myself to doing my best to be a, a, 
an active member of his royal priesthood. If that's you, man, you can pray along with me in a second, but maybe you've never made that profession of faith and you've never said yes to God for the first time. If that's you, you can pray along with me as well. Simply in the quietness of your heart, no one needs to hear you. You can repeat after me and simply say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I admit that I have fallen short of your standard, but B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. He didn't come in armor. He didn't come in glory. He didn't come in majesty. He came as a helpless newborn child. So thank you. And C, I would choose to follow him every single day of my life. God, make us members of your royal priesthood tonight. Help us tear down our kingdoms. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.